big announcement yesterday from the Ontario government. Masks no longer needed in most indoor spaces as of March 21st. What does the Ontario Medical Association think of this? Well, let's ask the head of the OMA, Dr. Adam Kazim, is back with us here on the show. Doctor, good afternoon. Jeff, good to be with you. All right, what is the OMA's uh, take? Has the time come for the removal of masks indoors, do you believe? Well, so Jeff, let me start by saying that we are in a very, very much a better position than at the start of the year. We're seeing improvements in almost all metrics, including vaccination rates that continue to rise. I know here in, in Toronto, uh, Mayor Tory was talking about having uh, an increased rollout uh, over the March break. I also know that uh, COVID hospitalizations continue to decline and ICU capacity continues to be robust. So this is very, very good news for all of us here in Ontario. Uh, and so we're cautiously optimistic that as we continue to move forward, we're, hendi- we're headed towards sort of hopefully... Uh, you know, the end of the pandemic phase of COVID-19 and hopefully the end of lockdowns. Now, obviously, the announcement about masking uh, has caused a lot of uh, conversation in a lot of different spaces. I'm at the hospital now, Jeff, and, you know, here we're obviously continuing to mask to don uh, PPE, masks, gloves, gowns, etc. And I know that that's going to continue in in certain environments as well. And so we are encouraging people to continue to wear masks in crowded indoor public settings, much like what Dr. Moore, Dr. Uh, Davila, I think today, as well as uh, Premier Ford, uh, said yesterday. Yeah. Why March 21st? Because I've seen a lot of talk about that, doctor, in the last uh, 12, 18 hours since this announcement. A lot of people are wondering, are we truly following the science here or did we just kind of pick a random date? Well, Jeff, I trust Dr. Moore and his analysis. His team obviously has access to all of the data in real time. They are doing their modeling. They're consulting with a lot of the different stakeholders and ultimately making those decisions. And, you know, March 21st is still 11 days away. And, of course, a lot can happen between now and then. And I imagine uh, adjustments can be made if necessary. But I trust the fact that uh, our healthcare system right now seems to be doing quite well. And and Dr. Moore, who has uh, access to all of that information in real time, is making those considerations and deliberations. Uh, with uh, the evidence in mind. Yeah, March 21st, speaking of that date, a lot of teachers, educators, even the sick kids been somewhat critical of that because that is the return from spring or March break. Would it have been a better idea maybe to hold off to at least the end of the month, a couple of weeks after that, to see what sort of effect March break might have when it comes to kids and our schools? Well, Jeff, I think it's, again, hard to say what will happen in 11 days from now. We know other jurisdictions who have dropped mask mandates have seen uh, a reasonable effect as far as, you know, Western Europe, the United Kingdom and parts of the United States. We also have to remember that we have the option of readjusting as uh, we continue to have more data and analysis happen. We shouldn't be afraid of dialing up and dialing down measures if need be. And what we want to continue to encourage all folks out there right now is the best way to protect ourselves against COVID, of course, is to get vaccinated. We also are encouraging uh, the third dose or a booster shot uh, in these circumstances. And I think that being able to 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 focus on some of those um, those measures, including distancing and masking where appropriate, I think is is part of what we think is a, a safe and responsible way to reopen. Yeah, doctor, do you believe we have a good handle on where we're at right now when it comes to the pandemic and Omicron? And I'm going to refer to a headline in the Toronto Star today that says high but stable levels of COVID-19 have been detected in Toronto wastewater. And as we know, uh, testing is not being uh, done as abundantly as it was previously in the uh, pandemic. So do we have an accurate indication, do you think, as to where we are right now? Well, that's a fair question, uh, Jeff. I think that the the signal in the wastewater is certainly an important metric to continue to to monitor, and I know that that's, that's going to be happening in earnest. I think that 
if we look at surrogate measures of, um, uh, of, of disease burden, and we think about that as far as healthcare capacity in our hospitals, which was part of the reason why several months ago we had to reorganize our healthcare system, unfortunately, under the Directive 2, uh, we see fairly reasonable capacity right now in hospitals and other, uh, and other settings. We also have to remember that nearly 21 million healthcare services have gone delayed as a result of COVID-19. And so our job now as a profession and as a healthcare system is to ensure that patients, non-COVID patients can continue to get the care that they need and deserve as well as uh, get it in a timely way. And so this is the task that we that is now before us moving forward. Yeah, I asked that question because the STAR doctor is saying that at any other time of the pandemic, what our wastewater surveillance is showing us would be alarming. An estimated 15 to 20,000 new infections a day. And I think what we're reporting right now is just over 1,000, maybe just under 1,500. So certainly that obviously has a relationship and a correlation with the amount of testing that you're doing and certainly the signal in the wastewater, of course, is a surrogate measure if, for example, testing has been curtailed for a number of different reasons. And so there is, again, a reasonable approach here where we start to consider monitoring in this environment. Um, but of course, that has to be coupled with what we're seeing on the ground in our hospitalization, uh, hospitalization rates and our ICU capacity. And so once again, I think that the, the main message here is that COVID is, is is not is not over. Uh, we we are still encouraging, uh, making sure people get vaccinated. We're, insure, we're we're encouraging people to to wear masks in crowded indoor settings. We want people to be cautious as we consider reopening. But we also also know that moving forward is going to be very important, not only for our physical and mental well-being, but also as far as taking care of all of the non-COVID care that requ- that is required across the province. Yeah, and just finally, what we're talking about here, and what we've been talking about the last 24 hours or so since the mask mandate, the announcement that was being lifted March 21st. Is all of this part and parcel of us all kind of learning to live with uh, COVID as has been kind of maybe the catchphrase the last uh, week and a half, two weeks? Uh, I I think that, Jeff, you're absolutely right that, you know, as we start to trend towards an endemic state, this means that COVID will continue to be around uh, in certain environments and may have spikes based on a variety of different factors, including weather, indoor gathering, et cetera. And and this is this mirrors other uh, infectious diseases, of course, that we've we've had experience with as a society in the past. And so part of the adjustment now is thinking about how we can not only continue to care for COVID patients, mitigating the risk of that disease transmission and the severity of it, but also then focusing on all of the other needs in our society, in our society including uh, all of the non-COVID care that needs to get done. All right. Dr. Kazim, appreciate the time and your expertise as always. Thanks so much for this. Thank you, Jeff. Be well. You too. Dr. Adam Kazim is the head of the Ontario Medical Association. We'll take a quick break and then we're back. You're listening to the Jeff MacArthur Show. Stay with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.